The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Research Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. You can find more from Dr. DeRoshi at www.jasonderoshi.com. Hi, my name is Hayden Summerhill. Welcome to Ask the Experts, a new series of brief talks from the faculty at Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College. These talks will take place over the next couple of months on Tuesdays from 1230 to 1:30 Central Time, and they'll cover a wide variety of topics from theology to church history to ministry and more. Today we are joined by Dr. D- Jason DeRoshi, Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology here at Midwestern. Since he's joined our faculty, I've grown to admire his love for God's Word and his love for training up ministers for the church. He's going to be speaking on why Christians should read the Old Testament. As he speaks, um, please send in your questions via the Zoom chat. At the end, we're going to have a Q&A panel where you can ask your questions, and we'd love to hear Dr. Droshi try and answer those for you in in all the time that we have. Before I pass it off to him, I'm going to pray for our time together. Dear God, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the life that you've given us in Christ. I pray that this time together with Dr. DeRossi teaching us about the Old Testament would encourage our souls, encourage our ministry, help us love God more, help us love his church more, help us love the lost more. So God, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Dr. DeRossi, I'll pass it off to you. Thanks, Hayden. It's a joy to be with you. This day, our question is, why should Christians read the Old Testament? And I have 10 reasons for you, and we're just going to walk through them here in the next several minutes. Number one, the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. In fact, it was his only Bible, and it makes up 75.55% of our own Christian scripture. Jesus' Bible. He never had the chance to read Romans. He never read 1 Peter. He never read Revelation. Why? Because none of them were written yet. Jesus' only scripture was that portion of our Bible that's made up of Genesis and Isaiah, Zechariah, Chronicles. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill them. Matthew 5, 17. When Jesus said the law and the prophets, what he meant was what we call the Old Testament. And he says, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. That was his goal. Or how about Luke 24, 44? These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible, and it had the same books as we have, but in a different order. For Jesus' Bible, it had the law, the prophets, and the writings, which in Luke 24 is made shorthand, I believe, by this title, the Psalms. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible, and if it was his Bible, don't you think we should read it as well? Number two. The Old Testament influences our understanding of many key biblical teachings. Without the Old Testament, we wouldn't understand the problem for which Jesus is the solution. For example, Romans 5.18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. One trespass. Well, where did that come from? Who was that by? It's obvious in the context that it's focusing on the sin of Adam. But we wouldn't understand the sin of Adam and understand the nature of the the global problem if we didn't have the Old Testament. Without the Old Testament, we couldn't understand so many features of the Old Testament story. Consider how Paul talks about Israel in Romans 9, 4 through 5. These are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, 
and the promises. Indeed, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. All those aspects of the story, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the patriarchs, way at the beginning, all of those aspects of the story, we wouldn't understand what Paul was even talking about, were it not for the Old Testament. Without the Old Testament, we wouldn't understand what the New Testament calls all the types and shadows that point to Christ. Remember how John the Baptist looked at his cousin walking on the road and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why is John the Baptist calling his cousin the Lamb? Well, we need the Old Testament to understand all that that's unpacking. Just a few verses later, Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. They raise the question, this has taken 46 years to build. What do you mean you'll raise it up in three days? And then the gospel writer clarifies, John says, he was speaking about the temple of his body. Well, what we're seeing here is that the Old Testament temple was but a shadow, a type of who Jesus was as the embodiment of the very presence of God. But we wouldn't understand that reference. He was talking about the temple of his body were it not for the Old Testament. Where would we go for the clearest unpacking of creation? But to Genesis 1 and 2, where better than Isaiah 40 does the Bible describe the incomparability of the Lord himself. Where but Isaiah 53 would we go for the clearest description of the, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus? All of these aspects are in the Old Testament. And so I, I repeat point two, the Old Testament influences our understanding of key biblical teachings. That's why we as Christians need to be reading it. Number three, we meet the same God in both Testaments, Old and New. You'll recall Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken through his Son. The same God that spoke through the prophets has spoken through his Son, Jesus. Same God. Now, there are some who, who have this wrong conception that the God of the Old Testament was a, a wrathful, vengeful deity, but the God of the New is filled with mercy and grace. But it's in the Old Testament that we receive this very clear, beautiful description of the Lord. It says, the Lord, the Lord, that is Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The God of the Old Testament is both a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but he is also just, just in all times, who will not clear the guilty. There's an interesting passage in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, 42 and 43, where we read these words. The apostle Peter, New Testament apostle, says this, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So the New Testament apostles were called to point to Jesus as judge. And then Peter says this, To him, that is to Jesus, all the prophets of the Old Testament bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So the New Testament apostles are, are called to declare Jesus as the judge, and it was the Old Testament prophets who, who foresaw Jesus as the one through whom God would forgive sins. That's the reverse of what most people even think. And my point is this. In the Old Testament, God is always a God of justice and a God of mercy. It's blended together and it culminates in the cross where the wrath of God is poured out upon the Son of God on behalf of all who believe. 
And then through that very Son of God, we receive mercy. The great exchange, our sins upon Christ, His righteousness counted to us who believe. We meet the same God in both Testaments. And because we want to be followers of God, we as Christians need to read about this God from the whole of Scripture. Number four, the Old Testament announces the very same good news or gospel that you and I enjoy. Have you considered that? When you think about the gospel, you may be confined only to the New Testament. But the New Testament authors themselves testify that the gospel was first promised in the Old Testament, anticipated in the Old, realized in the New. Consider how Paul speaks in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, Paul here is citing Genesis 12, verse 3, Genesis 18, 18, Genesis 22, 18, all of which we read about God's purpose to raise up a representative of Abraham, an ultimate male offspring through whom the curse would be overcome and the blessing of God would reach the Gentiles. And Paul says that's the gospel. That is the gospel of salvation that we enjoy, and it was preached beforehand to Abraham. Or consider how Paul opens his book of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, set up, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul was set apart for the gospel. That's the entire focus of his ministry. He calls it the gospel of God. Now, he could mean the gospel that finds its source in God. God is the one who intrudes into this world of brokenness and sin with good news. Or it could be the the gospel that finds its essence, its content in God. God is the gospel. He is the reigning one. And because he reigns over all powers of darkness, you and I can have hope. Regardless, Paul was set apart for the gospel of God. But then he says these unbelievable words, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The very gospel that you and I enjoy, the the gospel that Paul proclaimed, was promised beforehand through the agency of the Old Testament prophets. We can read about the gospel from Isaiah. You remember Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus cited this text in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim gospel, good news to the poor. That's what Jesus came for. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. Isaiah 52, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, declaring our God reigns. That's Isaiah. That's Old Testament prophets who promised beforehand through the sacred writings. So this gospel comes to us through the agency of the Old Testament prophets and through the vehicle of the scripture itself. And what does this gospel concern? Paul says at the end, the very gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the Son. Jesus is the principal focus of the gospel, and the Old Testament prophets themselves are the ones who foretold his coming. So that's a key reason why you and I need to be readers of the Old Testament, because we want to be those who embrace, who who celebrate the coming of Christ, who celebrate the hope of the gospel. And it was foretold, promised beforehand in the Old Testament prophets. Number five. Both the Old and New Covenants call us to love. And both the Old and New Covenants clarify what love should look like. We want to be people who walk following Jesus in the path of love. And my assertion is that the Old Testament is one of the key places God intends for us to understand how how wide and how high, how deep and how long the love of God actually 
is. You remember Jesus in Mark chapter 12. A leader queries him, saying, what do you think the most important commandment is? These were Jesus' words. The most important commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus reaches back to Moses and he cites Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love him with all. And then he cites Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus calls his followers to be men and women of love. And he grounds that love in the pattern of Moses' teaching. We can learn about love by reading Moses' instructions. Similarly, Jesus says in Matthew 7.12... So whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is shorthand for the Old Testament. What is the Old Testament about? It's about calling us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That is to love, to love. The golden rule is embodied in the Old Testament, and this is what Jesus expects of his people. So you want to learn what love looks like. Read the Old Testament. It will give us clarity about what love looked like for them and what it should look like for us. Last verse on this, this point, Romans 13, 8. Paul simply calls the church in Rome, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is what we are called to do. Love. All the individual commandments simply clarify how to do it. But love is the essence of our ethic. And we learn about love from both the Old and the New Testaments. Number six. Moses anticipated the, the lasting relevance of his law. And Jesus came not to destroy the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. My sixth point. Deuteronomy 30, verse 8. Just two verses after Moses predicts that the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love him with all in that future day, what he will do in his people following the great exile. And Paul in Romans 2 says, we are living in the day of heart circumcision. When God has done heart surgery, empowering us to be the people that he's called us to be. In that very context, we read these words. And you shall turn and you shall listen to the voice of the Lord. And keep all the commandments that I am commanding you today. Moses says, in that future day when God does that heart transformation, you're going to turn and you're going to hear his voice. And all that I'm speaking today in the book of Deuteronomy is going to matter then. What's his point? There is lasting value for Christians in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's Jesus in Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So right here, just pausing, we see Jesus saying he didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. Indeed, all the law still has lasting merit in light of the fact that I've come to fulfill it. Then he says these provocative words. Therefore, because I've come to fulfill the law, and you want to be my follower? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is amazing. Jesus has just gotten done talking about the Old Testament's predictive value that bound up in the law is a pointer to him. And then he says what Moses had to say, you are to teach and you are to do. But only in light of him as the fulfiller of that law. So now we gain clarity of how to use Moses through Jesus. But the point at stake here is this. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. And therefore, you and I shouldn't be followers of Jesus who act as though he came to abolish the Old Testament. Rather, we should seek to embrace the Old Testament like Jesus did. Number seven. Jesus and the apostles said that all the Old Testament is about Christ. Consider John 1.45. Philip arrives to Nathaniel and he says, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him, the very one that they were speaking about. Luke 24, 45 to 47. Jesus opens the minds of his apostles to understand the scriptures. Oh, to have your mind open, to understand Jesus' Bible, the Old Testament. What would it mean? What would you find? This is what Jesus said. When he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. If you were to understand the Old Testament, what you should find is a message of the suffering and rising Christ, and the message that would be sparked upon his ministry. That is, you should read about the Messiah and missions. That's what Jesus said you'd find if you understand the Old Testament. A message of the Messiah and a message of the mission that would be birthed out of his ministry. Is that what you read when you read the Old Testament? That's what we should find. Jesus is calling us to be a people who understand from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament and then all the way through Revelation, a message of the Messiah and missions. Paul was an Old Testament preacher. His Bible was what we call the Old Testament. And yet to the Corinthians, he could say these words in 1 Corinthians 2.2. I decided, even as an Old Testament preacher, to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. That's amazing. What that means is that no Jew could come to to Paul's sermon and feel comfortable. Because when he opened up the Old Testament, he proclaimed Christ and him crucified. Even as an Old Testament preacher. I want to be that kind of a man. I want you to be that kind of Bible study teacher, that kind of small group leader who can open up the Old Testament and your people would look to you and say, wow, you just showed me Christ and him crucified. Number eight, failing to declare the whole counsel of God can put you and I in danger. What do I mean by the whole counsel of God? The whole counsel of God refers to all the purposes of God within the story of redemption, from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to consummation. Hear Paul in Acts chapter 20, his final words to the Ephesian elders. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I charge you, do not be among those who fails to proclaim the purposes of God throughout the Old Testament. Because you could be liable for the blood of those who fail to turn to Jesus. Paul was not liable for any blood because he proclaimed the whole counsel of God. So Paul, 2 Timothy 2.15, charges his young pastor, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, for he rightly handles the word of truth. No shame for those who rightly handle God's book. 
And that's a book made up of an Old and a New Testament. Three-fourths old, one-fourth new, all focused on the Christ. Number nine, my ninth reason why Christians should read the Old Testament is that the biblical authors recognize that that first three, the initial three-fourths of the Bible was actually written for our instruction. It was written for Christians. I want to give two reasons from the old and then show you some text in the new. Isaiah 30, verse 8. And now, Isaiah, go and write it before them on a tablet. Write down my words. Inscribe it in a book. And so it is that we come up with the book of Isaiah. Well, why was he supposed to write it down? Well, earlier in the previous chapter, we learned that it wasn't principally for his contemporaries. Because Isaiah 29.10, which Paul cites in in Romans 11 verse 8, God had given most of Isaiah's audience a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that could not hear, such that when Isaiah would take uh, his scroll to a person who could read, they would say, I can't read it for it's all sealed. Isaiah's own words were not perceptible. They couldn't be appropriated by his audience. But then in Deuteronomy, in Isaiah 29, 18, it says, the day is coming though. In that future day, the deaf will hear the words in a book and the eyes of the blind will see. And so it is that we read this. Write it down. Give them the book of Isaiah that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. Did you get that? Isaiah's book was for a future generation. Jeremiah is similar. Write the words in a book, God says to Jeremiah. Write the words in a book that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming. This is the the shorthand signal in Jeremiah that he's about to talk about the new covenant age. Write it in a book, for days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. Write it in a book today, because after the exile, A generation will rise who will be my people, and it's for them that this book is written. So it is in 1 Peter 1.12, we read this. The very prophets who, who foretold the grace that you and I are enjoying, those very prophets who were searching and inquiring carefully, inquiring to know what person and time the Spirit of Christ in them was foretelling the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, we read then in 1 Peter 1.12 that it was revealed to them, those very prophets of old, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Isaiah understood that he was writing his book for you. Jeremiah understood that he was writing his book for you. So why would you as a Christian not read the very things that God wrote for you, for me, followers of Jesus living in this day, who've, who've been awakened, who have spiritual senses to, to taste and see that God is good. We must be readers of the Old Testament. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, directly after citing the Psalms, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, believers. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's why God gives us his word. That's why the initial three-fourths of the Bible is there. That you and I might have encouragement. That we might persevere. 2 Timothy 3.16, well-known passage. All scripture is God-breathed. Is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Indeed, you should be able to take your Old Testament to your Christian friend and challenge them to live more like God would call them to live. Even though we are new covenant believers, the text says all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Be a reader of the Old Testament so that you can draw closer to God and so that you can help others draw closer to God. The biblical authors recognize that the Old Testament was written for Christians. My last point, number 10, my 10th reason why you should read the Old Testament is this, that Paul commands preachers to preach the Old Testament, which implies that Christians should be reading 
the Old Testament. I'm going to put that passage, 2 Timothy 3.16, within its context so that we can see the flow and directly what comes after. Here's Paul in 2 Timothy 3.14. As for you, young Timothy, my pastor apprentice, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So I'm going to pause right there. Timothy, we're told in 2 Timothy 1.5, was raised by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. In Acts 16, we find out that they were Jews. So here's this grandmother and mother raising up their grandson on the sacred writings, and they're the sacred writings of the Jews. Well, what would that be? It was Jesus' Hebrew Bible. It was what we call the Old Testament. Timothy was raised on the Old Testament. Then he says, These very sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is thinking about is the Old Testament upon which Timothy was raised, and it was through those very scriptures that he became wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is God-breathed. Do you see that? There's no break. Directly after citing the sacred scriptures of the Jews that through which God saved Timothy, Paul says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Then he moves on directly after that. After saying that all scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says this, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ, preach the word. What word? Well, at the very least, it includes the Old Testament. Yes, we're at the end of Paul's life. He's already written almost all of his letters. Many of the Gospels are already rising to the surface. But it's clear the Word includes the Old Testament. Preach the Word. Paul expects the followers of Jesus to be those who read the book and preach the book. Ten reasons why Christians should read the Old Testament. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible and makes up 75% of the Scripture. The Old Testament influences key biblical teachings. We meet the same God in both Testaments. The Old Testament announces the same gospel that we enjoy. Both Old and New Covenants call us to love. Jesus came not to destroy, but to fulfill the Old Testament. Jesus and the apostles said all the Old Testament is about Christ. Not declaring God's whole counsel puts us in danger. God gave the Old Testament for Christians. And finally, Paul commands church leaders to preach from the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. I urge you, your life can change. Let me pray before we go into a QA and a time. Father, I thank you for these viewers. I thank you for the opportunity to urge them to be whole Bible people. I pray that as they enter in and read the initial three-fourths of your revealed scripture, that you would let them meet Jesus and see the message of mission that he would spark. Messiah, mission, awaken their hearts to the beauty of the gospel, which was anticipated by those Old Testament prophets and now realized through your son. Thank you for your word. What a kindness. Meet us now in this question and answer time. For the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Dr. Roshi, thank you so much for that word. We are going to move into a time of Q&A, so feel free to enter your questions into the chat. I have them here. But first, um, I want to say thank you again. I'm reading through Joshua right now in my own personal devotion time. I think as Christians, any of us can become susceptible to viewing our reading of the Bible, especially even the reading of the Old Testament, as an information dump. But your words have um, stirred my heart to just remember that in the Old Testament, um, we have eternal life because the Old Testament points to Christ. And so I'm encouraged this morning even to read um, on my own, and I hope you all are encouraged as well to continue reading God's Word. Um, So let's jump right into these questions. Um, On that note, um, this first question is related to devotional reading of Scripture. Mm -hmm. 
And the question is this, when reading the Old Testament during one's daily time with the Lord or devotional time, is it helpful to have some sort of tool or resource for like understanding genre or historical background of the language? Or is there something to be said about just having the word and reading it with what it says right there on on its own? Mm. I think there's a place for reading for depth and reading for distance. Just having your word and just reading through it and then having times where you slow down and you use the study helps that are available to you. It might be found in a study in a, uh, a study Bible, like the ESV study Bible or the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. Great tools that God has given his church to just help understand whether it's background or message. But the ultimate goal in our devotion time is to encounter God and to try to pause to to truly taste and see that he's good. So what does that take? We want to be expanding our understanding of the word, our understanding of who God is, but we want to go further than that. We want to meet him. And so whatever it takes for you as the reader of scripture to encounter the living God is where you need to go. If that means answering certain questions, then you need to get those answered so that you can see him in all of his beauty. If it's just pausing and resting and meditating on the fact that um, he takes pleasure, not in the strength of the horse or in the legs of the man, but God takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love, Psalm 147, 10 and 11, and just pausing on those two verses and saying, God, have I been, have I been focusing too, months on my, too much on my own strength? Mm. Oh God, I pray that you would be working in me a disposition of fearing you. Are there areas where I haven't feared you? God, I've had anxiety. Help me hope in your steadfast love. And that's not looking at any commentaries. That's just meditating on the fact that God is with you right now in Christ, 100% for you in Jesus, and just calling upon him, seeking that, that he would embrace your heart, hold you, and help you express that fear of him that doesn't move you to flee, but pushes you to follow, that that moves you to embrace hope in his steadfast love. Whatever it takes in your devotional time to meet the Lord is what you should be doing, whether study or just conscious, restful meditation. Absolutely. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, Another question has just come in um, on the nature of Old Testament prophecy. So when we read Old Testament prophecy, what, would, what should we be thinking? How should we be interpreting Old Testament prophecy? Should we be trying to find where in the New Testament that prophecy might be fulfilled, or should we, we be reading it in a more broader sense? Good question. So with respect to Old Testament prophecy, we want to recall two things, backwards and forwards. First of all, the Old Testament prophets, even before they were predictors, they were preachers. Mm. And they had their Bibles open, especially to the book of Deuteronomy. So the instructions that the prophets are giving are being drawn out of the book of Deuteronomy and some other places in the initial five books. When they're indicting the people, castigating them for their sin, the standard upon which the prophets are saying this is right and this is wrong is Moses' words in his covenantal material. So we want to read the prophets in light of the covenant. And then what's most important to recognize is that when the prophets foretell uh, an age of doom and they warn of coming punishment, or when they look beyond that punishment to blessing, they are also drawing on Moses. They're drawing on the old, te- the old covenant curses and restoration blessings. So they're just preachers. They've got their Bibles open. But when it comes then to considering prediction, the fulfillment of these predictions, we want to try to use the Bible as much as possible. Rather than first jumping into contemporary situations and looking for fulfillment, we want to identify how does the Bible itself anticipate such fulfillment. And that's where things like cross-references in our Bibles are such a gift Mm -hmm. because we can see where New Testament authors are utilizing their Old Testament text simply by tracking those 
those cross-references. Similarly, when you're reading the New Testament, pause long enough to, to track um, when New Old Testament citations are made, whether through quotation or through allusion, and go backwards and try to figure out what, what are they saying is being fulfilled right now. It'll help, uh, help us become better readers of Scripture, be able to anticipate how when the prophets are talking about certain things, in what way are we supposed to understand this fulfillment? How is it being realized in Jesus uh, Jesus' first coming, in Jesus' second coming, uh, how are we to understand it all working out? Um, so I think, as was bound up in the question itself, using the biblical text as our greatest guide is going to serve us when it comes to understanding Old Testament prophecy. Absolutely. That, that's great. I, have, I almost want to go further down that road, but we've, we've got more questions here, so I want to, I want to move to a different one. Um, this next question is unique, and I'm interested to hear what you'll have to say. Um, it says, when we teach through the Old Testament, perhaps in a Sunday school class or an equipping class of some sort in church, or when we're reading the Old Testament on our own, how should the order, ordering of the Old Testament scriptures, the canon, um, affect how we move through the Old Testament? Should it affect how we move through mm. the Old Testament or understand it as a whole? That's a great, great question. First thing we want to remember is that there are clues in the New Testament that not only Jesus and his apostles had the exact same books that we have, that, that what we count as Old Testament was indeed Jesus' scriptures, nothing more, nothing less. But not only that, it's also clear that Jesus and his apostles had, even though the same books, they understood them to be in a different arrangement. The Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. In, in our English Bibles, we have the Pentateuch, the historical books, the poetical and wisdom books, and then the Prophets. But in Jesus' Bible, the arrangement was different. And I think if we want to read the Bible as closely as Jesus and his apostles did, that statements like Luke 24, 44... All that was written about me from the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled that we're going to be able to understand what Jesus meant most if we read the Old Testament in the order that Jesus had it. Now that stated, I think there are four elements that we need to keep in mind that, that have to be vitally important, that, that do influence structure okay. and arrangement. Number one, we want to always read our Old Testaments with Moses as the foundation. In the same way that we want to read our New Testaments with the Gospels as foundation. We won't re-understand any of the rest of the Old Testament if Moses isn't the foundation for everything. The covenant that is laid out there indeed provides the lens for understanding all that the prophets were saying, for reading the history, for understanding the sages. It, it, it calls us to read it in light of the covenant. And, and even before the Old Covenant, to understand Israel's role in the broader world, as the book of Genesis gives us clarity. Similarly, in the New Testament, we won't understand anything if we don't understand the person and work of Jesus sure. that the Gospels lay out. Second thing, we want to make sure that we read the story in order. Okay. And so, th just that doesn't mean trying to pinpoint when certain books um, were written, but rather understanding that the storybooks, and they're not all storybooks, there's also what I would call commentary books, things like Jeremiah, um, Zechariah, the Psalms, these are commentary books that give us clarity in how to read the story, in what was going on during the story. But the storybooks themselves, that is the true narrative account, we need to read it in order, in order to properly understand where Jesus fits. The third thing I would point out is simply this. Make sure you understand that the New Testament follows the Old. It might seem natural, but, but we need to understand the problem before we rightly understand the solution. And then the fourth element with respect to arrangement is just that whatever order you put it in, you're going to see things that you may never have seen before. And because it, that's just how reading works. If we read Ruth after Judges or before Psalms or after Proverbs, it's going to inform our reading of Ruth. And so we just need to be aware that how we put books one after another is informing our understanding of that book's message. That's incredibly helpful. And for those of us that are new to this idea of our, there being a different way we could order the books based on um, what you're saying, 
what's maybe something someone could could Google or, or look up to help them see exactly what you're talking about if they want to take this further? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I don't celebrate mentioning my own book. Okay. But it just came out, 40 Questions About Biblical Theology, that I co-authored with Oren Martin at Southern Seminary and Andy Naselli at Bethlehem Seminary. Okay. Uh, in there, I have a chapter on... How should the arrangement of the canon inform our doing biblical theology? That's one place that someone could go and read. Um, Stephen Dempster has written an Old Testament theology called Dominion and Dynasty, where he actually follows the arrangement of Jesus' Bible. And he tries to understand the message of the Old Testament in the flow of Jesus' Bible. Those are two great places to start. That's helpful. And it actually answers another question we had um, about books that would help us study the Old Testament. Are there any other big ones that you would mention, um, books that you love as helpful resources for the Old Testament as a whole? The I love the uh, a volume that I edited with multiple authors in it. It's called What the Old Testament Authors Really Cared About, a survey of Jesus' Bible. And that, too, goes through the arrangement of Jesus' Bible. But the key is that it doesn't just um, walk through a book from beginning to end. It's thematic. So it says, what are the top five things that Moses cared most about when he wrote Deuteronomy? And so it gives a lens for readers when they're wanting to read a particular book. It gives them a lens for knowing what to look for Mm -hmm. as they walk through it. Um, Another resource, Stephen Wellam and Peter Gentry wrote, God's kingdom through God's covenants. And a substantial part of that book is Old Testament, just wanting to understand how do all of God's covenants progress, integrate, and climax in Jesus. I think it's a super helpful tool. The last tool that I would mention uh, is an edited volume by Miles Van Pelt um, called An Old Testament... Um, boy, what is it called? An Old Testament Theological Introduction. Something of that nature. Um, it's a big volume uh, with a chapter devoted to each Old Testament book. And it was written by numerous Old Testament faculty from Reformed Theological Seminary. It's an excellent book focused on the message of each Old Testament book. So Stephen Dempster's Dominion and Dynasty, to understand the flow of the story... Uh, Gentry and Wellams, God's Kingdom Through God's Covenants, to understand the flow of the story, and then those other two volumes that I mentioned to really get into the message of each biblical book. That's extremely helpful. And now we all have some reading to do. There we go. Some homework from from this. That's that's great. Um, We have time for one more question, and um, it's a specific question about the Psalms that I'd love to hear your answer on. Um, The asker asks... um, Many of us spend a large part of our time in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. Can you give us just a brief example of the messianic patterns in the Psalms that might help us during our reading times? Mm. Or how we see um, the Messiah portrayed through the patterns of, of specific Psalms? That's a great question. So my approach to the Psalms is I, I truly see them as the songs of the Christ the very prayers of Jesus become the songs of the saved. So these are, I I believe, personally, these are direct uh, predictions about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. What we see is a king who is portrayed as more glorious than any king of the Old Testament. He is elevated with an eternal kingdom that will last forever. And how does he gain that throne but through intense suffering and great tribulation? And so throughout the Psalms, we see these cycles over and over again, beginning in in book one of this suffering king who triumphs through great tribulation. And in the midst of that triumph, he gains a community that is following him. And all of them then, in the presence of God, exert praise to the Lord. This is exactly how I believe the New Testament authors were reading the Psalter. They're not thinking about the life of David. They're thinking about the life of Christ. And so my encouragement as you read the Psalms would be to read them first and foremost to understand the inner 
life of Jesus, the work and the passion of the Christ. And as you do, then you realize, if I am in him, these very songs and prayers become my songs and prayers. Mm -hmm. So I believe David intended for us to understand that Yahweh was Christ's shepherd. And because Yahweh would be Christ's shepherd, ultimately, the Yahweh Christ could be David's shepherd. That as he wrote Psalm 23, he was first and foremost not thinking about his own journey, but thinking about the one who would come, who would stand in his place. And then through that, that Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, becomes something you and I can embrace. Goodness and mercy only pursue us in light of the work of the Christ. And so that song becomes ours because it was first the movement of the Christ. So that would be my first, my first take on the Psalter and how I would encourage people to begin to read it and appropriate it for themselves. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Roshi, that's about all the time we have. Would you have any last encouragement for us as we think about reading um, God's Word, specifically the Old Testament? Well, I would just say that I delight in being at a place, Midwestern Seminary. I wasn't, you didn't set me up for this, but I I just delight being at Midwestern Seminary where the whole of Scripture is celebrated, where the Old Testament I I am just able to to approach it as filled with the hope that I believe Jesus and Paul saw in it, gospel hope, and to magnify Jesus from the initial three-fourths of the Bible. This is a place where if you were to come, you would see the whole of Scripture, the whole counsel of God celebrated, unpacked, all for the glory of Jesus and for the church. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. DeRoshi. I would encourage you that if you're listening— um, and you are interested in studying more and learning more about Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College and how you could come here either on campus or online and be equipped for the church and for the kingdom, that you would reach out to us. You can reach, reach out to us at mbts.edu or you can email us at admissions at mbts.edu and we would love to answer your questions, tell you more about how pursuing a Master of Divinity or a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies or one of the many other programs that we have to offer could equip you and your ministry as you seek to preach God's word, teach God's word, um, love people um, as God would have us to love them because of our knowledge and understanding of of the scriptures. And so I would encourage you to reach out to us if you have those questions. Um, In addition, we'll be back next week at this same time with Dr. Jason Allen, our president. He will be teaching on how to prepare a sermon. So we'll be here 1230 next week. You can see all of our upcoming topics and speakers at mbts.edu slash ask the experts. And we'd love to see you again soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this message from Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Research Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Dr. Jason DeRoshi. For more information about Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, we invite you to visit www.mbts.edu. For more writings, sermons, and lectures from Dr. DeRoshi, please visit www.jasonderoshi.com. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who reigns, saves, and satisfies through covenant for his glory in Christ.